Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. My guest today is Leah Steele, who is a mentor and trainer focused on burnout, imposter syndrome, and resilience. She is a former solicitor, which for our international audience means lawyer slash attorney. And no surprise, this is where she discovered burnout. She now runs a business called Searching for Serenity and works with individuals and companies across the UK and Europe to help prevent and reverse burnout. Leah, thank you for being here today and welcome. Thank you so much. Brilliant. So let's just kick things right off and you know, tell us what exactly is burnout according to you? Okay, so burnout is something that arises basically when people who care too much about their work work too hard for too long with too little care and reward. There is a very fancy World Health Organization definition um, that is in a, a book that medical professionals will use. So it's not a diagnosis in the same way that perhaps depression or any mental health conditions would be, but it's a cluster of symptoms and experiences that mean that as a result of this, more people are likely to come into contact with a doctor. And the way that the World Health Organization breaks it down is it's chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, that leads to exhaustion and depletion, reduced professional efficacy, and negative cynicism towards your work, which when I read it back, is kind of the definition of being a lawyer, I think. <laughs> so talk to us about your experience. And obviously you, you, were, uh, you were a lawyer um, and obviously you experienced burnout. So what, what exactly happened? So, you know, what, what, what was your career like? And then what, what was it that caused mm. the actual burnout? It's, it's a culmination of lots of things. So my background is I come from a working class background, single parent family, and law was not really something that people from my area did. But I decided at the age of nine, I think, when I first met a lawyer, wow, they fix problems. They sort things out that can be unbearable to live with. I want to do that. And being a precocious brat, I stuck with that and I worked my way through, did my degree, did my postgraduate degree. I was actually called to the Bar of England and Wales in 2007. So for an international audience in the UK, we have a division of lawyers. So the ones that sit behind the desk and see you day to day are solicitors and the ones who get up in court and argue are barristers. Um, if you ever watch any British legal dramas, they're the ones with the really weird grey wigs and the big black robes that are like morning robes. I think they are morning robes, aren't they? <laughs> um, so I was called to the bar. This is kind of the pinnacle. There are very few people that get called to the bar. It was insane. But there's a level of training you have to go to um, that requires other people to give you a shot. And I just didn't quite get that. I spent six years working as a paralegal, so an unqualified lawyer, but running files, um, hundreds of files, all personal injury, people who've been involved in road traffic accidents, and I cross-qualified to become a solicitor in 2012. Again, very few people get to do it, um, and I did it in a very weird and wonderful way, and I then specialised in mental capacity, contested wills, trusts and estates, and court of protection, which, again, international audience, 
think Britney Spears, but less drama. That's court protection. Um, so I worked with a lot of people who had either traumatic brain injuries, severe mental health problems, or had had family members who had. It was weird and wonderful work. It was brilliant. I loved it. There was a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what I did for nearly 12 years. The reasons why I burned out were myriad. It's obviously when you're a lawyer, you are working under stress. People don't come to you because they're loving their life and they want to pay somebody 200 pounds an hour to make it better. They come to you because they have a problem and that brings everything with it. Um, For me, I was dealing with decades old family dramas often and a lot of cases that involved childhood abuse, trauma. It was, there was a lot of emotions that came with it and I'm a naturally fairly empathetic person, which meant I would get given cases where people were quite difficult sometimes, you know, but you're so difficult, good for difficult people. You take it, it's fine. (laughs) So there was that, there was this level of emotional fire hosing to the face is probably the right term, but it was also who I was. People who struggle with burnout often will overwork in order to feel good enough. There's, Addicts will talk about the hole in the soul, right? There's this hole in the soul that only drugs or alcohol or overeating can fix. And I think for those of us who experience burnout, the hole in the soul is filled by overworking and seeking validation from others and seeking that external worth. Um, It goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome. It goes hand in hand with perfectionism. And what happens is you overwork to try and feel good enough, but you never feel good enough. So you keep overworking and then eventually you do what I did, which is face plant on the floor. Pretty hard. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so much to uncover in there, but mm-hmm. we, we will knock that out. You know, what <laughs> would you personally do then to overcome burnout? I did a lot of the things that other people do. So I assumed that it could be fixed by diet and I started drinking green juices. Um, that did not do it, but I had a lot of pond scum sitting on my desk. I thought that if I just did yoga, it would be, I just needed to lower my stress levels, you know? So I was just gonna sit on a meditation pillow, do some yoga, do some deep breathing. Usually what happened was I fell asleep and then would wake myself up with a snort because I was so exhausted and everybody in the class was disgusted with me. Then I started making bigger changes. So I changed my job. I changed to work for a firm that was a lot close to home. I had a three hour daily commute. I'm not, gr- I'm not good with travel anyway, and three hours a day is fairly extreme in the UK at least. Um, so I changed my job, I changed to a firm that was close to home, I changed to something that was supposed to be less stressful. So it was a bit like taking a great big chocolate cake and instead of cutting wedges, I was just slicing off the edges, mm-hmm. but I was still in the middle of all of this. That's when I realized that it wasn't gonna be my job or my career or my location that made the difference, it was going to be me. And so the changes that I made then were to focus on why is it that we burn out? And often it's underlying burnout beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm a fraud. And the behaviors that we then exhibit to try and overcome them. I'm going to work so hard that nobody can see me. I'm a blur running around the office. Um, I'm going to drink so much coffee so that I'm not exhausted. And then I'm going to drink wine so I can wind down at the end of the day. It's like the respectable middle-class Judy Garland scenario. And then I started making other changes. Um, and that's when I started helping other people as well. Started talking about this. And it turned out I wasn't alone. Turns out most people feel this way. We just don't talk about it enough. 
Okay, so I mean, I'm, I'm just going to read something from, from your, you know, LinkedIn profile. So spare with me one second. So on, <laughs> on that it says, <clears throat> you know, as a legal professional, I found more and more women around me leaving their careers, falling ill, or deciding that it simply wasn't possible to have it all. Every day I would see men and women around me lose confidence, drive, energy, enthusiasm, second-guess themselves, feel like a failure, and crumble into self-doubt and anxiety. Now, why, why does that happen? Or, or, you know, why is it so common? Because so many people experience that. You know, what, what is the problem here? What, what's causing it on such a mass scale? It is, and it is happening. I started out just working with women because I, again, I assumed that men were more confident than women and men had it sorted and actually that's not the case. So now I work with everybody regardless of how you identify. Um, But it is happening on a massive scale. And I think some of the things were baked in, right? I'm not somebody whose face necessarily fits in law, even though I'm ginger, lily white, my voice is relatively middle-class sounding. I knew I didn't fit. I got told very early on by a barrister when I was doing a a work experience placement. He said, oh, so which of your parents is the lawyer? And you could see on his face, he he was proud of himself that he said, which of your parents, rather than where does your father practice? And I said, well, neither of them. Um, My father's an electrician, my mum worked in offices. And he looked me up and down and went, oh, well, aren't you trying to cross a lot of socioeconomic boundaries to become a barrister? And there it was right there, the thing that I'd always feared being reinforced. Mm-hmm. Um, so partly it's a lot of us don't feel that we fit in, even when the whole world is made for us, we don't feel that we fit in. So, so let me just there, let me continue. Let me, sorry to break up that. No, no. I'm going to pick on this point. So, so yeah. you said your greatest fear came into fruition, but what caused the fear in the first place? So where did that yeah. come from? Yeah, that, I think the fear often is just with us. You know, from our youngest ages at school, we get told that we don't fit in or we smell or we've got ginger hair and we're stupid, you know, and bullies will pick on something that is already, you know, a slight chink in our armor. And what they do is widen it into a chasm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we don't fill that in, it's just, it's like a cavity in a tooth just waiting to get filled and widened until it all breaks. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us are born with these fears. I don't think many people are born certainly outside of the classification of narcissist not many people are born feeling completely securely attached to their parents completely happy with the world they live in all of us are in some way usually subject to bullying prejudice we're subject to some kind of not enoughness in whatever way it is and we internalize that we don't at the age of four or six or 10, sit there and think, no, screw you, it's you, not me. We sit there and go, oh, well, I must be right because they're bigger than me or older than me or that's the way the world works. Mm-hmm. We figure out the way the world works. Our brains set the structure between the ages of four and seven. So often we're actually fighting with a four-year-old when we're trying to overcome our imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you tried to fight with a four-year-old lately, they usually win. <laughs> um, they bite if they don't get what they want. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a struggle. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's that aspect that we're all born with these inherent unworthinesses. Mm-hmm. That's not a phrase, but we'll go with it. We'll lean into it. I think it's also that certainly, you know, law is an industry. It's tough. It's really tough. And there are some really messed up beliefs at play. We've just been talking about one of them um, that I won't dive into. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of behaviours that are odd 
there's a lot of rules that exist that it's only when you step behind the curtain and look at them you realize that the wizard wasn't a wizard he was just a guy from kansas um and so many of the rules are ridiculous i've worked at firms where i was not allowed to work from home because quote we don't do that hello 2020 everyone's working from home now mm -hmm. i've been told i was not trustworthy because i worked so many hours i cried with exhaustion in the toilets and that made me not trustworthy mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at why that might be happening so I think there's a lot of things around the industries that we work in. There's a lot of beliefs and behaviors that we adhere to without questioning them. We all start with these inherent fragilities, but then it becomes cultural. Um, you know, law is a culture that rewards the bullish and rewards the tough. It doesn't reward the empathizing people who are working with people who have been abused and struggling. And then of course, we all have these really piss poor boundaries. <laughs> um, we didn't need boundaries around work 25 years ago. They were there. You went to work, you got your influx of work for the day when the post arrived and somebody opened it for you. You took phone calls, you didn't have emails, you didn't have to worry about it in the evenings and weekends. Literally nothing was going to happen. Whereas now I get people emailing me at three o'clock in the morning because they're still working. Court's closed, but we'll still work on the pleadings. We'll still, converse with clients until 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So the world has changed, the way we work has changed, but we've not necessarily changed with it. So, so does this come down to then the individual or, or is it, you know, are the corporations not doing, are the companies not doing enough? Is, is, the, is the corporate structure just old school that needs upgrading or do people need to make changes themselves? And the answer to all of that is yes. <laughs> I, I, one of the things that I say a lot is burnout is not just a matter of personal fragility. It's a cultural issue, mm -hmm. but in order to change a culture, you have to start with people because I've never successfully seen a company rebrand their culture from the top down and that work culture proliferates out. And so the way that I approach this is by education, by, um, taking tools, resources to people to explaining what burnout is even because there are going to be people who listen to this who have felt exhausted, have felt cynical. What's the point? Why am I bothering? Everything I do just means I get more work. It's like pushing, you know, mud up a hill the whole time. And they've never been told that's burnout. They think that that's just them. So what we do is we start with education. We start by spreading this out. Then we start having conversations about, okay, so if this is burnout, how does our culture come into this? As a team, as a firm, as a company, as an industry, as a country, as a planet, how have we made it so that this keeps happening and how can we change that? Mm -hmm. But individuals have to understand it. Um, one of the things you will often see me banging a drum about is why, why are we adhering to rules that don't make sense? Why are we still playing a game that was rigged a hundred years ago? Mm -hmm. um, you know, law is, um, I love law. I love lawyers. I love working with my corporate clients. Law is not a very forward thinking industry at times. And it's very difficult to change. Just, just to break it, the, the funny thing about that is if you go on every legal website, they all say mm -hmm. we are a forward-thinking firm, but they're not. So, so carry, carry on. It's a traditional industry and it's not their fault. You don't know what you don't know. So you might think you're forward-thinking because you pay men and women equally. The standards are shifting. And that is part of the problem, isn't it? That I started in law 15 years ago, just over. Mm -hmm. And 
it's shifted so much in 15 years. It's shifted so much in the four years I've been doing this business. And I'm really glad to be part of that change, but God, we can't keep up sometimes. Um, and so that is part of the issue that it takes time to change culture. You can chip off an ice, you know, a bit of an iceberg and put it in your drink, but you can't change the iceberg's direction without a hell of a lot of work. So it does come down to individuals simply because they make up the group. Um, and so, yeah, I work with individuals on a one-to-one basis, on group basis. I go into law firms and other companies and start talking about this. And I love it because just working through that definition, you suddenly see these light bulbs going on over people's heads Mm -hmm. and you suddenly see people sitting up going, I thought it was just me. And it's not. The stats say it's 76% or more of people are experiencing burnout at any one time. Um, You know, wellbeing stats came out last year from the junior lawyers division here in the UK and they found that 93% of junior lawyers, so anyone up to four years qualified, that's a big chunk of the profession. 93% of them were stressed at any one time. 25% of them nearly were experiencing extreme stress within the previous month. And one in 15 of them were experiencing suicidal thoughts. We are not alone when we say we're struggling, Mm -hmm. but it takes time. That's frustrating. Mm -hmm. Obviously you've touched a lot about the legal industry and and, and lawyers, which obviously we're both in the industry we're aware of that but it's not just in the legal industry it's it's across all the industries so you know obviously the 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 label of lawyer i know that label crippled me for a long time but what about the people in the other industries what what is causing their stresses and anxieties and burnout it's the same structures so Mm -hmm. it's a different flavor perhaps if you're in a different industry it might exhibit in different ways but I don't have clients who are just lawyers my clients include marketers medical professionals um they include oh god there's just so many different avenues there are some people who are changing their careers and they're studying and they're doing all these different things I tend to work with what we call white collar people so professionals in different industries, but they show up in different ways. So for example, here in the UK, we obviously have National Health Service, which is probably pretty much a synonym for stress at this point, because we know everything they go through. And every day I see more people on my Instagram feed who are brilliant consultants and medical professionals who are saying, I'm burned out and I'm signed off sick with work because I was not functioning, Mm -hmm. um, because I was exhausted, because all of a sudden something snapped and it didn't feel, I just didn't feel. And that's one of the things that we do to cope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went through phases in my burnout where I would dehumanize and depersonalize my clients in small but meaningful ways. A client comes to you and says, I've got a case. It's not about the money. It's about the principle of the thing. And every lawyer goes, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Medical professionals have versions of that, you know, oh no, I I want this operation. It's not about, you know, the size of my butt. I just want to make sure I'm healthy. Mm -hmm, That's why you want lipo, right? Okay. We depersonalize, we dehumanize because it's easier to keep people at arm's length and not feel it. And when you're burned out, it feels a little bit like you have been rubbed down with sandpaper, rolled in lemon juice and salt, and you are a human margarita, Mm -hmm. but without the booze to numb it. So it is, every industry has a version of this. Understanding, I think, the definition is really key because when you start seeing negativity and cynicism, when you start seeing exhaustion and how difficult it is to keep up, it suddenly unlocks something. And that's when we start looking at 
okay, what is it about this industry that repeats this? For example, medicine. There's a really great book um, by Matthew Said called Black Box Thinking. Mm -hmm. And it compares the medical profession to the aviation industry. They are two industries that are diametrically opposed on safety figures. Mm -hmm. And yet the reasons why are because of their approach to problems. Okay. So in the book, he lays out that in, for example, in the aviation industry, if you have a near miss in a plane, as long as you report it within so many days, there will be no action taken against you, even if you were at fault, because they will take that information, they will cycle it back through and they will say, what can we do as an industry to change it? In medicine, you don't, you don't own up because you can be personally sued for medical negligence. Mm -hmm. And that shift alone is a cultural shift between why you might experience burnout. Mm -hmm. If I'm not prepared to admit my failings because I might suffer individual consequences and won't be protected by the whole, of course I'm going to be on edge all the time. Of course I'm going to overwork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So obviously you, you, you've touched upon that first the, the first step really for somebody who's facing burnout is, is to understand the definition once they've understood that you know what are some of the practical steps they can take to to get better the first thing is to look back at what you have been doing the first thing i ever do with clients is give them a time recorder just hour by hour each day what have you been doing Normally what happens is people will say to me, oh, I've not been working that hard. I don't know why I'm so tired. And then they complete their time record. And the first person who ever did this made me laugh a lot because they only filled in their working hours. They conceptually didn't think about what they were doing outside of work and therefore only filled out only 10 hours a day because that was work. Everything else, well, what's the point? Um, usually they'll then look at it and realize, even if you're not working all these hours, so much of your time and your energy is spent in support of it. Well, of course, if you're going to spend half of your day every day focusing your energy like a laser beam at things, it's going to cause you some struggles. So start by paying attention to what you're actually doing day by day. And then ask yourself, how much time am I spending resting, relaxing, doing things that actually energize me that I enjoy? Um, it's a common joke. If you ask a lawyer what their hobbies are, they'll say they like going to the theatre, cinema, reading and travel, because that's what we all put at the bottom of our CVs. And it's always crap. None of us have done it. I, I remember writing it and I haven't been to the theatre for five years. <laughs> but and certainly, obviously, none of us are doing it right now. Um, so actually asking yourself, what would I do if I won the lottery tomorrow and I didn't have to work? Most people go, but I want to. No you don't necessarily want to work in the way that you've been working but if I won the lottery tomorrow what would I do obviously I'd go on a holiday I'd lie on the beach until I turned pink and crispy for a while but then after that what would I do after I'd refilled my energy after I'd drunk all of the bad cocktails at the all you can drink bar what would I do what makes it worthwhile getting out of bed in the morning that's usually the first key because most of us are so focused on our job titles, on what we can achieve, mm -hmm. on paying down our debt or creating wealth or having something to leave our kids that we don't think about what the wider legacy is and actually why we're bothering to do all of this, how we enjoy our lives. Mm -hmm. The more that you can rest and refuel and have things outside of work that you enjoy, the less likely you are to burn out, full stop. So if you are an avid cake baker and you haven't picked up a spatula for six months, you've got to ask yourself why and how you can make that happen again. If you love 
I was going to say travel, that's a really bad example right now. Um, if you love painting or if you love walking the beach with your dog, but they haven't happened for ages, why not? And how do I feel when I do them? That's one of the biggest shifts you can make okay, right so, now. So let's stick to this point because I'm going back now 10 years, um, yeah. five, 10 years. So, you know, my routine was, was something along the lines of this. So Sunday morning, the first pang of anxiety hits, shit, I've got work tomorrow. Sunday goes and then by Sunday evening I'm having a full-blown anxiety attack crap I've got work tomorrow um, and you know I'll go to sleep and sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night uh, because of the anxiety but Monday morning I'm full of stress and anxiety and I, oh, I absolutely hate work I don't want to go but I'm forcing myself to go and then you sit in the you know the, the commute the stuffy trains and, and you feel the misery and the depression of every single person on that train. Um, and then you go to work and look, I do not like work. I, I'm doing it because I, I need to make money to, to live basically. But by the time I finish work and get home, I am now so mentally drained that I haven't got the energy to do what I, I find interesting. Um, I'm just eating, I'm watching a bit of TV and then I'm going to bed stressed. And then the next day repeats and then the next day repeats. And then the weekend comes and I'm just like, <sighs> yep. laziness. So, I can't find uh, uh, one of the common thing what is, you know, I don't have the energy and the time to find those things that I do because my job is taking so much of my time and energy. So what would you yeah. do in that situation then? That usually is the situation. And this is where um, my clients love me and then they hate me and then they love me again because it's usually in conversation and they'll be telling me that they don't have the energy and they don't have the time and they don't have this. And I will sit there and say, excuse my language what's the fucking point then what is the point why are you doing this mm -hmm. you may as well give up your job and go on benefits and give up your house and you know why are you doing this and then it slowly starts to come out none of us get into this situation because all we wanted to do was be financial slaves we all got into this because we had dreams and hopes and somewhere along the way coupled with burnout we shut them down we thought they're stupid don't be ridiculous i can't do that and i just i slightly opened the door because i asked why do you do what you do why did you start this what brought you to this place to begin with why did you become a gp why did you become an accountant why did you become a lawyer and there is always always a version of this i wanted to make things better i wanted to improve something I saw a way of fixing a problem and I saw a way of helping others. And I've done that so much that I've destroyed myself in the process. Mm -hmm. So then we go, okay, so you wanted to make a difference. You wanted to help others. How the hell are you going to do that? If you feel this exhausted and this strung out all the time, you can't, you're the center of the Venn diagram because you've got this Venn diagram that is kind of your career your friends and family, your partner, your kids, your parents, your mortgage provider, you know, all of these people are relying on you to be functional and to keep going. But if you can't, that's going to be a problem. Now, often people will come to me and if I say to them, you've got to look after yourself, they go, yeah, whatever. You know, I'll do that at the end of it. I will make time once everything else is done. No, you won't. So what we do is we move it straight to the front. Who are you letting down? Who are you letting down by performing badly at work? Who are you letting down by 
being so exhausted you fall asleep face first in your spaghetti bolognese rather than actually having a conversation over dinner with your partner who cooked that spaghetti bolognese you utter douche you know it's this kind of thing that i will actually have these conversations with clients be like you are actually being quite rude to other people never mind yourself mm-hmm. and the reason i do this is because it tricks them <laughs> in order to take care of other people it's part of the equation we have to be taking care of ourselves. So yeah, you're exhausted, fine, 20 minutes. I defy anyone on this planet to not be able to make 20 minutes a day to read a book that they love, to listen to some music and dance around, to think about things that inspire them, to watch a TED talk on YouTube, whatever it might be. I don't care how busy you say you are. You can find 20 minutes a day, even if you're sitting on the toilet when you do it. I'm not going to judge you. I just don't want to be there to see it. So finding five minutes, then 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, all we're doing is opening the door a crack and then widening it. Because if I tell you right now that in order to prevent burnout ever happening again and to feel energized and better, you have to change your diet, you have to change your beliefs, you have to change your behaviors, you're going to adapt the way that you work, that's too much. So we start with five minutes. And the number one thing that I do with clients at the moment is three questions at the end of each day. What went well today? What didn't go so well? And what am I going to improve tomorrow? Because for most people experiencing burnout, we're not living today. We're living the potential of five years from now. I'm, I'm fine today, but I've got to keep going so I can finish this case and get the cost. I've got to keep going so that I can get to the end of the year and get a pay rise. I've got to keep going so I can get promoted. I can get more money. I can get a bigger house. I can buy a nicer car. It's always the next thing. So we bring it straight back to today. What went well today? Why did you bother getting out of bed? What went well? Something went well today. What didn't go so well and what are you going to improve tomorrow brings you back to this very simple moment. And this idea that we can learn and improve and grow every day. And once you have that concept nailed down, of course you can manage and reverse burnout. Of course you can change imposter syndrome because it's not about the big thing. Mm-hmm. It's about the five minutes today. Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? And, and, and so what can companies do then to, to help individuals and, and their employees suffering from burnout? What, what, can, what steps can they take? The first thing has to be education. Um, At the moment, we are still operating under this erroneous belief that burnout is something that happens to snowflakes. You can't hack it. It's not. It's three quarters of your workers. Look around your teams, your WhatsApp chats, your staff lists, three quarters of them at any one time are experiencing this. And for companies in particular, this affects your bottom line. So if your staff are burned out, they are not performing at their best. They're probably also making mistakes that take time and energy and money to sort. They're also potential compliance risks. They are also potential staff that are going to leave and then you have to spend money to recruit, to replace them. So the first thing is you start with your people. You bring your people up to the best possible standard by giving them training, by helping them to understand what's going on, by asking them, what is it that you need having had this education having had this discussion what has it sparked in you what is it that you need to do differently and i do a very simple one hour lunch and learn it's basically a burnout 101 this is what burnout is this is how it's showing up let's laugh at how ridiculous i was when i was experiencing burnout let's have a little joke about coffee and wine and then everybody goes away and they think about it and that shifts through 
And then they come back and they start re-engaging with their managers Mm -hmm. and they start asking for things that they need and they start using their employee assistance program. They start discussing between themselves because we're problem fixers. That's what we do as people. So the moment I say to you, here's a situation and it's reducing your effectiveness. It's making you miserable. It's exhausting you. It's overwhelming you. Your brain is going, well, let's fix that. And I could try this and I could try this and I could try this and the door starts opening. So it starts with education for companies. It also has to be your HR staff, your managers all need to not only understand what burnout is, but be able to identify it in other people. One of the biggest issues I find is, oh, that person's become a troublemaker at work. Mm-hmm. They're speaking out all the time. Oh, they're so miserable. You know, they affect the people around them. Stop judging. Start asking why that could be. I'm going to bet nine times out of 10 it's burnout or it's problems at home that are affecting their ability to work to their capacity. It's some version of the exhausted, overwhelmed, frustrated matrix. And the moment we stop doing this thing where we try and keep people at arm's length, because if you've got emotions, I don't want to feel them. I don't want to be affected by your stuff. And instead start asking, I wonder why that could be. We can start making differences. So the next level for me is I'm doing a lot of burnout education with law firms, with other companies. The next stage is saying, right, there are people who want to go further, who want more help and support, get them the help and support. Then we need to get the managers in so that they can spot it in other people who might not have even selected themselves for this training yet because they've not realized what's going on. Burnout is a new term. It was only coined in 1972. It's only been put in the World Health Organization, um, putting it in the ICD-11 a year ago. You know, this is changing rapidly. So education, understanding, and then asking the question, how can we make this better? And not being afraid to challenge the status quo just because it's always been that way. Okay. But so how, how receptive are companies to this? Because I know I felt it and I know a lot of other people that speak to feel it like, yes, they, they do have these drives. They have the mental health weeks. They have the whole thing. But for the employees, and I, I remember obviously being an employee and speaking to other employees, it just felt like this is just all sure. It's just to be cool and, and with the culture. Yeah. But ultimately, they don't really care. It's, it's, it's spreadsheet after spreadsheet. It's target after target. It's you get your targets done and, and, and that's it. And then the rest is just uh, kind of seem cool. So how receptive actually are companies towards burnout and, and things like this? Like I said earlier, I think I'm seeing more companies, certainly more law firms being receptive. You know, I've, I've delivered training in, I think, three of the top 25 law firms now. Um, I'm doing a training next week at DLA Piper, which is the biggest law firm in the UK um, and is an international firm as well. So certainly the big boys are picking up on it. But I've also just trained a high street firm, top to bottom, the whole firm. And they're receptive to it. I know that traditionally we have all assumed, question mark whether this is a negative instance of burnout as I say this, but we've all traditionally thought, of course you're doing that. You've got to do it for your corporate social responsibility. You've got to be seen to be doing the right thing. You've got to tick the right box. Don't get me wrong. I know there's a level of that with some companies. I don't care. And I don't think we should care. If they're ticking the box, take the opportunity and run with it. Pick that ball up and run. Um, But any company, any firm, any boss who gives a crap about taking home a, a 
you know, a wage, a salary, a dividend, whatever it might be at the end of it, gives a crap about burnout. The reason for that being it affects their bottom line. So even if they don't care about the people, even if they don't care about looking like they're doing the right thing, if they care about money and nobody goes into business because they don't care about money, they should care about burnout and they should be investing a lot of money in it. For every pound that you spend on well-being and mental health training, you get an average return of 10 pounds. I think with burnout, that's higher because we are directly impacting something that reduces someone's ability to work to their full capacity. Um, and certainly, you know, we've, we've just had tipped headlong into a recession, right? We've had the biggest constriction of the market on record full stop. If you're not investing a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand pounds in helping your staff to produce to their best, you are short-sighted at best and you're negligent at worst because you are not allowing your people to do their best work. You're limiting them nobody likes to be limited and they will leave they will go and you will have to pay to replace them um you can see why companies love me so much right <laughs> um but it's true it's true and i don't see any reason to pull those punches more companies are engaging more companies are not just engaging on a checkbox level but saying god we need to do something about this i'm horrified by this feedback i can see people struggling and i hate it because remember managers are people too and usually they came into it because they wanted to fix problems as well nobody comes maybe a few people come into this just to cause pain to others but for the most part we all are actually pulling in the same direction it just doesn't always feel that way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so Obviously, you started your own, your own business now. Did that come whilst you were suffering from burnout or, or did you, you know, recover, still do well in your corporate world and then decide to start a business? So you talk to us about the transition from, you know, being an employee to starting your own business. Um, I'm not sure I'd recommend it to anybody. I, so the first thing to remember is burnout. You might see a peak burnout. You might see someone being signed off sick with work with stress or completely collapsing their health, but that's the peak. The burnout has been going on for a very long time beforehand. Remember it's chronic workplace stress. It's not been successfully managed. It's taken place over time. Mm -hmm. So for me, I hit my peak beginning of 2015. I, been working way too hard for more than a decade. I had suffered a shocking bereavement at the end of 2014 and I just didn't really recover. My body started to go, you know, I was getting every cold and flu that was going around. I got sinusitis, I got stomach bugs, I was having IBS flare ups to the point that um, <laughs> clients were coming in and asking me when I was due. And I was like, mm -mm, I'm wow. just stressed from dealing with you. Um, so that was the peak that everybody saw. That was mid 2015 i started my business in 2016. now in that time i had been learning and growing and i've been discussing things I actually started on the business in december 2015 so it was not a very long period of time i also started my business took on my first clients whilst i was working evenings and weekends around my job as a court protection lawyer at a top 25 law firm so i went from burnout to burnout plus full-time job in one of the most demanding areas you can do plus a business on top within a year and the reason i did that it was a very deliberate choice it wasn't just fear based on oh my god i have to do this mm -hmm. it was a very deliberate choice i did not feel that i could leave law and then set up this business and then tell other people in whatever industry oh it's okay you can recover from burnout because if i haven't done it 
how can I teach it? So I was applying things to myself and then saying, hey, this is working, try this. You know, it was literally like standing there at the park giving a taster and then showing it around to everybody else. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, a relatively short period. I went from peak burnout to starting my business, to working with clients on top of a, let's be honest, probably 60 hour a week job. Um, whilst talking about how to try and manage time and to do this management the best, how to deal with difficult people, how to understand imposter syndrome, and then eventually leaving that job all within a two year period. Um, and I've been doing this full time for three years now, three and a half years. Um, and it was actually my business's fourth birthday earlier this week. Yeah. So it's all moved quickly in some ways and very slowly in others. But I think it's really important to have, um, integrity and authenticity around this and for me to be able to say hand on heart I've been there I have been exactly where you are right now and it's okay it can get better and if I can do that by googling things in the toilets whilst I was crying or you know reading under the covers at two o'clock in the morning because I had such bad insomnia to get to this point Mm -hmm. whilst doing that you can do it so much better and so much faster because someone else is smoothing the way for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh so talk to us about how, how are you feeling now? Then obviously you've got your own business. It it's, looks to be doing well. So is was the burnout because you were a, a corporate employee following rules, or you know is that better now because you've got your own job and your own boss? No, God no. The amount of people I have seen who go, it's fine. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to start my own business. It will be brilliant. Have you tried running a business? <laughs> it is not easy. It is more difficult because you know what? No matter how bad you thought your boss was in employment, I can tell you, you're a worse boss to yourself. Um, it is tough. So most people I see will say they're going to leave. They're going to start their own business. It'll be fine. It'll be wonderful. I won't experience burnout anymore. No, you're taking all that crap with you. You're taking your feelings of self-worthlessness. You're taking your imposter syndrome. You're taking your never enoughness. You're taking your perfectionism, people pleasing. And all you're doing is removing your monthly salary and then pinning your self-worth on how much money you make. It's a recipe for disaster. So whenever people say to me that they want to leave their careers or they want to change their jobs within the industry or they want to start their own business, my advice is do this work first because it's going to cost you a lot less in the long run than trying to figure it out as you're trying to figure out how to pay your mortgage at the same time. It's mm-hmm. it's really worrying how many people think that a, a, you know your own business is a panacea. It's not. Um, it is a whole load of extra issues and it's brilliant. I love it. I wouldn't go back. Somebody offered me a job in law this week and I laughed at him. Um, (laughs) but I, yeah, it's a lot of work and burnout. The problem with burnout and imposter syndrome is you can't outrun it. That's what you've been doing to burnout to begin with. Mm. So if you're trying to outrun it, if you're trying to do it by changing the work, it's not going to work because it's you that has the beliefs it's you that exhibits the behaviors as a result of the beliefs it's you that constantly treats the surface level rather than the deeper issue so you've got to sort it out first okay and and, and how how much is burnout um and, and, and imposter syndrome linked to self-esteem i mean what impact does it have on self-esteem and if if, if, if it's your self-esteem which is the real issue how do you raise your self-esteem oh that is a good one The first thing is it has a huge impact because 
what's built into the definition of burnout imposter syndrome is I am not enough until I prove. It's a little bit like being on the bow of a ship and saying, bring me that horizon. The horizon is always going to be further away. I'm not good enough until I might achieve the thing. I'm already looking to the next one. So for me personally, I will be good enough when started, you know, age nine, decide to become a lawyer. I'll be good enough when I have the GCSEs, the A-levels, the degree, the postgraduate degree. When I'm called to the bar, when I'm a barrister. Well, first of all, that was my entire life plan up to the age of 22. I had nothing planned after that. So I had a real existential crisis at 23 when I was like, I haven't achieved the things I was supposed to do. I ticked some of the boxes, not all. The other thing is that we constantly, if we're constantly externalizing our self-worth, we're never going to achieve it. So that's why I start with the questions of what went well today and what didn't go so well. Because it shows that every day we're moving the needle. It might be in small ways. But if I'm going to look back and only take the edited highlights of the last four years in business or 30 odd years of my life, then there's a lot that I'm missing that. Whereas if every day I'm saying, what did I do well today? Put the, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons on LinkedIn today. Um, I've had some brilliant conversations with clients. I'm going to have some more brilliant conversations with clients today. We're recording this interview. I've had some really nice coffee. I've cooked an amazing risotto. These are all things that went well today. And I get to be proud of them no matter what. And that's the way that self-esteem gets built. If you're waiting for your boss to tell you you're good enough, if you're waiting for the pay rise in order to confirm your self-worth, you're just going to change that metric because it's not actually going to do it. So if you focus every day on who you are and what you've done well and why you should feel proud of yourself, it's like Lego. You build it up brick by brick. Mm -hmm. I mean, you touched upon this earlier because you know, asking for permission from your boss or whoever uh, earlier said, you know, seeking validation. I mean, I think this is conditioned into us from, from a very young age, especially at school, because yeah. that's what we do. You know, we get told what to do. We do it and we get feedback. So that seeking validation, seeking permission, it literally happens for the first 15, 20 years of your life. And then it carries yeah. on to the corporate world. Uh, but then it gets so tough to break away from it because, I mean, I'll be honest, it's been one of my biggest problems was trying to break away from seeking permission and validation. And that's been my biggest struggle in being a business owner, in being in, in, into entrepreneurship, because there's nobody there to give me the validation or permission anymore. Yeah. So what, what exactly can you do to decondition yourself from the <laughs> specific point of always needing, seeking validation and permission? Yeah, it is reverse brainwashing. It is deconditioning the same way that you would do somebody trapped in a cult. Um, I had this conversation recently with some um, law students. I said, the problem is that we are in a sprint stop cycle from the age of five to 25, that we have end year exams, we have essays, we have qualifications. And we learn this cycle of it's okay to push really hard because I can crash afterwards. I can sprint, then I can stop. So I'll do my exams and I will crash out for a week and sleep for 18 hours a day. Then what happens is we go to work and we take the sprint stop cycle with us, except we're now in a marathon cycle. There is no stop point. There is no, even if you are in the best kind of litigation or if you're doing, you know, advertising and projects, that's probably the closest to the sprint stop cycle that you have. You work on one project until it stops. But even then, it's usually a day's downtime, if that. I used to do it every month. I do my billing at the end of the month and the first working day of the month, you just sit there looking at your emails being like, nope, nope, can't do it. So what we do is we, one, become aware of the patterns, 
And two, we bring it down to daily actions to change it. So if you're used to seeking validation and if you're listening to this and thinking, sod off, I can't believe you're saying this to me. It's so much easier to wait for other people. Then what you do is you set your own metrics for success. We have to do this as business owners, right? If I'm going to sit here and not be good enough until I've made a million pounds, I'm never going to make a million pounds because I'm never going to be good enough. If I'm going to sit here and for every pound I make, I'm going to celebrate. I, <laughs> I've just had my fourth business birthday. Um, so it's the anniversary of the day I first made any money in my business. Because that's when it becomes a business instead of an expensive hobby, right? So that first day I had bought, two months beforehand, I bought a bottle of Verve Clicquot champagne in the box bright orangey yellow box it was in my fridge so every time I open the fridge to get milk for my coffee there was a bottle of champagne I will open you when I've made money in my business I'd even bought it on offer so it was 25 pounds instead of the usual 35 and the first day I made money in my business I opened the bottle I poured I even had a headache I was like but I'm doing it I'm doing it upset this so I'm opening it I'm going to force myself to drink champagne it's such a hard life I know um and then I had this momentary oh because the first set of money that I've made in my business was 20 pounds. So I was still in negative <laughs> opening this bottle of champagne, but it was that metric for success. When I have done this, I will get that. And to make it smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely, great, specific, I'm gonna make money. Measurable, gonna make money. Achievable, I'm gonna make money. You know, it's okay, I can do that. And I can laugh about it because it was hilarious to have already spent more than I'd made, but that's how I've kept it going. So this month is the biggest month I've ever had in my business full stop. Um, and I've just turned four and all these amazing things are happening. And so I'm sitting here now going, Oh, I didn't actually set any kind of goals for when I hit to that point. So what am I going to do to anchor it? I'm going to buy something um, or book something to anchor in that that is what happened when I had this biggest month ever. That's setting your own metrics for success, but it works in other ways as well. You know, how many times you're going to do something or how often you're going to work out. If you've worked out for five days in a row, you get a chocolate bar, whatever it might be, even if it seems ineffective, if it keeps you motivated and it keeps reminding you of what you've done and it's worthwhile, it's worth it. Brilliant. So you're just setting your, your, your own feedback loop basically, and then you're just yeah. conditioning yourself into that. Yeah. Love it. Now, I mean, we're going to wrap up soon, but obviously there's a lot of panic out there right now, um, yeah. especially with law students, you know, um, they've, they've got the degrees, they've got the qualifications, but they can't find a job. What advice do you have for, for those that are really stressed and struggling right now? Um, and yeah. what, what can they do? I think the first thing is to remember that this too shall pass. This is not the first recession I've lived through. I think it's the third maybe. Um, and over time it will change. So you've got to just be able to keep yourself in the game, whatever that means. Um, for me, I've always been very honest. Whilst I've been building this business, I've been working part-time because if I was just going to leave my nice cushy every month, I get a salary job and suddenly have to replace it the next month, that was not achievable. So I've worked part-time for, I think, the last two and a half years consistently, um, doing a base level job so that it smoothed out the rough edges so that I was available to show up. Because the other thing is, if you are stressed beyond your wit's end, you are going to make bad decisions. You're going to take jobs that you don't want because, oh, but it pays the bills. You're going to talk people into working with you that you know should never work with you and are going to kill you. 
but you'll do it because you need to pay the mortgage or pay the rent or whatever it might be. Yeah, there are going to be sacrifices for all of us over the next however long it takes to get back on our feet and out of this recession. But the other thing is to remember that a recession, a downturn in the market means growth in other areas. My background, I said, like I said, first six years I was in personal injury, then I qualified into contentious probate and court of protection. Court of protection doesn't go anywhere. People get traumatic brain injuries, whether the market's up, down, left or right. Contentious probate? Oh, yeah, that goes out when there's a recession. It went up as a result of the last financial crash. It's going to go up again, particularly as there's been some issues here about how you sign wills. Personal injury, alternative revenue sources, they increase in a downturn market. My entire career was built on the back of the credit crunch, which happened as I was coming into the market. Um, and I lived through the 1990s recession with no heating and no hot water for a year when I was a kid. It's tough and there's work to do to unpick the stress of it later. But the more you can take care of yourself right now by making it as easy for you as possible and for not judging yourself for making it easy, just knowing that what you're doing is making sure that you can consistently show up and keep your head in the game and do what needs to be done, the better it's going to be. It will pass. There are opportunities for change no matter what's going on in the market. Be open to them, but make sure you're taking care of yourself, that you're not just focusing on that base level Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that you can actually see opportunities rather than running around penniless and stressed out of your wits. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So... We're going to wrap up now, but um, who is your ideal client then? What can you do for them and how can they contact you? My ideal client is every one of the top 50 law firms or US law firms. I'm doing everything on Zoom these days, so I'm not going to stop you. If you want to work with me, that's great. But for me, it is on the corporate side of things. It is big law firms, big companies who have realized that actually investing in their staff is the number one way to get a better return, particularly right now when other people are not necessarily spending as much money. So internalizing the um, ability to create is going to be important. Um, and I offer really quite, um, quite cost-effective corporate training. When it comes to individuals, if you understand that burnout is having an impact on you, then that's something that needs to be done. You need to do something about that because it doesn't go away. You can't ostrich your way out of this situation, stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away. You've gotten into this situation because of cultural factors, but also because of yourself. You can either wait for the culture to change or you can change yourself. So I tend to work, I work with men and women now, but I tend to work with clients who are in professional careers, who've been doing this for a while and who are beginning to lose the love for it or it's the impact of what they do is too much for them to bear anymore. And they're not prepared to keep living this way for another 20, 30, 40 years until they retire. But they're not quite sure what else they're going to do. <laughs> um, and so what we do is work on making these changes to the beliefs and behaviors so that they can make these changes now and hopefully again like i said just now have their eyes open so that they can see the opportunities as they come along brilliant and where, where can people contact you for more information or to get in touch with you uh my website is www.searchingforserenity.co.uk or come and find me on linkedin it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash leah y steel with an e on the end um, i'm always causing problems over there so it's quite fun to follow if nothing else Brilliant. and um, we will post a link when, when this video is released we will post a link below so you can click on those links 
and contact Leah. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, I've learned a lot more about burnout. I mean, I, I, I kind of was aware of it, but not to this extent. Um, and yeah. I'm sure other people are going to find a lot of value from this. So any last words before we close up? I just want to say thank you. And if anybody is listening to this and suddenly has this moment of, oh God, this is me, you are not alone. All it means is that you have cared too much, given too much to your job, to other people with too little care and reward. That's the bit that needs to change. So let's take better care of you, yeah? Brilliant, excellent, love it. Well, thank you for being here. Appreciate your time Um, and everybody else. I'm sure you enjoyed the episode. For now, take care and bye-bye. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review. Please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops. Thank you for tuning in. Now go out and attack your Minotaur.